And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend Nate Tyson. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. We're getting all the time zones this month. We're getting them all. <laughs> When am I going to Chicago next? Are we get the Central Time Zone? Uh, Are we going to Denver? Are we get the Mountain Time Zone? No, I, I'm doing very well in Indianapolis. Uh, trying to figure out the weather back in yeah, that great weird. Midwest, 67 today, but it might drop to 30 <laughs> over in a couple hours and rain and everything. But no, it's it's a little different than Las Vegas right now. But I love being here in Indy and I love getting to do this. And even if not everyone's working out, I still like to talk about it and I'm still having fun. It's always good to be back here. I had a bit a little bit of whiplash. I completely misjudged how I had to travel back from Mexico. So I that came was... back on Sunday, and then we had meetings here on Monday morning. So I woke up in Oaxaca on Sunday, flew to Mexico City. Okay. My flight was delayed to Mexico City, so we made that flight home by seven minutes. Oh, that's good. Yep. International so just flights, com- what you want. Completely exhausted running through the airport. Get on the plane, fly home four and a half hours, land, go through customs, go home. Okay. Switch out four things in my suitcase, grab my suitcase, put it back in the car, drove to Indianapolis. That's so that's how I'm feeling. I had a great week, though. Yeah. It was fun to yeah, be in Mexico. Mexico. I had a great time. <laughs> uh, we were in Mexico City for four days. We were in Oaxaca for five days. It was a fantastic trip. We had so much fun. Uh, but when I saw an NFL head coach in the elevator on Monday morning at 7 a.m., I was like, nope. Not ready. Just not, not, just, just not ready. That book's not opening up yet. So, but we did okay. I've snapped back in. I'm ready to go. We're going to do something today that we did in a slightly different form last year. We're going to talk about what we consider the most interesting teams of this offseason. Yeah. And this list is going to look a little different yes. than I think a lot of other people's lists might. The Bears aren't on here. The Cardinals aren't on here. Because we're going to spend so much time talking about them. And really, with the Cardinals, we already talked yep. about them last week. Yep. So these are teams that I think just have intriguing pads this offseason based on the way last season went, based on kind of how they're positioned within their conference. So that's what we're going to spend today talking about. The one thing I wanted to do before we kick this off, I just wanted to talk about Peter King for a minute. Um, Peter announced his retirement on Monday. Uh, I just wanted to say something very quickly about Peter just because he's been such a fixture in NFL media for so long. In 2015, Grant went folded. It was October 30th. Um, I was young. I was in my 20s. I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I got a call. I think it was on a Thursday or a Friday. And that Monday, I got a call from Peter. And Peter asked me if I wanted to come work for him at the MMQB for the rest of the season. And it was a really tough time in my life. And I really needed something like that. And I just appreciated that invite and that opportunity so much. And I went to work for Peter for those four, five, six months. It was only supposed to be till like, the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And then it went all the way through the draft. And that. it was such a cool experience. And you know, when you are somebody like Peter, who has been at the top of this field for so, so long, it's so incredibly difficult to do that. Yeah. And 
it's always interesting to me to find out how people can accomplish that. And I work for some people that have been really, really successful in this business. And working with Peter, I got to do so many cool stories. And a lot of it was driven by his own enthusiasm and curiosity. There were things that he wanted to chase. He made me go to the Silver Dome, like the corpse of the Silver Dome in Pontiac, Michigan, and write about the Super Bowls that happened there as like pre-Super Bowl coverage. And I remember I did a piece that year. It was the 2015 season, and that was the year where Carson Palmer had an amazing year, mm-hmm. Cam Newton. The Steelers' offense was really good. And I did this story about how the best offenses in the league were really pushing the ball down the field after an era when it was a lot of dink and dunk, a lot of two tight end stuff. And you know, Peter was in charge of the MMQB, and he was editing that story. He had like ideas about things I should incorporate and things that I should do. And for somebody at his level to take that sort of care – in every piece that was going out on his website, it was never a surprise to me after that moment, like why Peter had risen to the point that he did. Right. And so I just, I wanted to, you know, express this, how much gratitude and how much respect I have for him. And the last thing that I'll say, we, we I sat next to him at the Minneapolis Miracle in 2017. Okay. And we were standing up for the, national anthem and I was emotional and excited in the same way that I always am when I'm at a football game and I asked him I said does this ever get old and he looked at me and I'll never ever forget this and he said not for you it doesn't and I always really really appreciated that just as him recognizing that I loved doing this so much and that I kind of had an enthusiasm about it that maybe he did as well and that always meant a lot to me and the last game I ever watched with Peter was the Lions Rams game this year and he (laughs) I can't even describe to you how excited he was watching Puka Nakua play in that game. He was like, he was swearing like over and over and over again. I don't know if in you want me to box. say that. In the press box, he's just he's just like, holy shit. Like every time he did something, he was just enamored with Puka Nakua. You're 40 covering the NFL and, and he's still excited and, about a rookie. He is we're how many years into this? 44 years yeah. as a sports writer, and he was as excited as any single one of us while watching that game a month before he decided he was going to retire. Right. So there are just some people you cross paths with them, you get to know them, you understand their process, and it makes a lot of sense why they've risen to the point that they have. Peter was is the most generous, one of the most generous people I've ever worked with in this business. He's always willing to help out everybody else, and so I just I really wanted to take some time to kind of take a step back and recognize who he was and what he was in this field because what he accomplished over a four-decade career was absolutely remarkable. He's a legend. Yeah. He is. I mean, him, I mean, Belichick goes out as a coach this year, and then now Peter King does. It's like, oh, crap, that's a chapter of the NFL just done. And Peter King is the media representative of that chapter. And I, he's a legend. I mean, I've, through my dad or myself, been with half-dozen teams or around those facilities. I've seen him at each of those facilities. Yeah. Talking to different levels of people. It's not Mm -hmm. like he's just talking. I've seen him talk to Justin Fields when I was at a practice. Okay, that's one thing. He's talking to some scout that he knew from 20 years ago. He's talking to the cafeteria worker in Atlanta, asking what Matt Ryan orders with his shade. <laughs> like you said, it's curiosity. Yeah. He wants to learn, and it was every aspect. I mean, I remember the article on Money Moon Quarterback where he wrote about learning Twitter. <laughs> I remember that vividly, like 12 years ago, 13 years ago. I remember that, how he's teaching. But it was kind of cool just to not have that. You know, I, hey, this is where the stuff's going. I'm going to try it, and I'm going to see what it's all yeah. about. And look at him, he's still on Twitter. And all those types of things, it, it's, that's what he's all about. He's all about that curiosity, all about finding something, writing 10,000 words a week about all ranging of things, front office stuff, players stuff, stuff. The discipline to stuff. do that for as long as he did. Every it, Sunday. To 4 a.m., 4 at 5 a.m. every single week. Every week. Absolutely With remarkable. travel. With it's all, remarkable. It's, it's crazy. And then all the camp stuff he does. It's it's commitment to your craft. Yeah. I mean, curiosity and commitment to your craft. Uh, there's got to be some saying with all the C's there, but it, it's 
it's, he's real with that. And so, I, you know, congratulations to him. An amazing career. He's been nothing but gracious to me and my family every time I've met him, got to talk to him. He vividly remembered me from when I was 12 years old when I saw him 15 <laughs> years later. And he's like, Nate, oh, you were a baseball player, right? And I was like, no way. Did you remember? I was like, I asked my dad, like, you tell him that? He's like, no. And I was like, I thought that was awesome. So, yeah, I, I just personally and just professionally, uh, nothing but the utmost respect. I think everyone has that. And I'm just, yeah, what a legend. All right, let's get into it. Yeah. Let's talk about these teams, and we're going to bucket these teams a little bit. They, they kind of fall within some nice little nice. descriptors. Yeah. So the first one we're going to do here is the AFC, and specifically the AFC South yes. house money teams. And both the Texans and the Colts fit under this sort of signage. Both of these teams were potentially in the playoff mix in week 18. Yeah. I mean, it was a play-in game for both of these teams Over to get Jags. in. Over the Jacks. Over the Jacks. So the fact that both of these teams were on the brink of the playoffs, the Texans get to the playoffs and win a playoff yep. game, Yes, I think says so much about where these teams are and what the potential outlook is moving forward. But this is the problem that sometimes we run into with these teams. Every single time we did one of these post-mortems for one of these house money teams in our playoff shows, it's like, oh, the future is so bright. Just go still. The future is so bright. It's just going to keep on <laughs> keep getting going up. Look at all the resources that they yeah. have. And these off-seasons are pivotal in making sure that things continue heading in that yep. direction. So let's start with the Texans specifically. Texans have $64 million in cap space. They've got some guys hitting free agency that were some of those one-year dice rolls that they had. Sheldon Rankins, Jolton Schultz, George Fant. Yep. So how they end up and how they end up deciding the way they're going to reshape this roster and say, okay, this is our follow-up back to what year one looked like is pivotal for what the next stage of the Houston Texans franchise is going to be. So as you're looking at this Texans team, what are the kind of looming questions that you have that you want to see addressed in either the free, agent, in either free agency or the draft this year? And, and number one thing, and even as we got excited about the Texans, this always was in the back of my mind that if they faced better opponents, was the spine of the defense. Yeah. Linebackers, safeties, even even some defensive line kind of rotational guys, because like you said, they're losing some guys. Jonathan mm-hmm. Grenard yeah. is an interesting, you know, so really defensive hole uh, is what I think is the number one question for me because if I look at the offense I, I think there is you know I think the pass catchers are pretty good seeing what they go with Dalton Schultz you know find a running back maybe offensive line depth especially on the interior or a guy that can maybe start at one of the guard spots or something like that a transition plan from Shaq Mason when he moves on all those types of things but I just keep coming back to safeties linebackers safeties linebackers because when I watch that team they give up all those explosive plays week after week they try to sign Jimmy Ward and I, I love that but he was banged up throughout the year they they kind of had a lot of samey type guys that safety slash slot guy that's better yeah. down in the box but maybe not back and I think they just have to figure that out and again like you said it's house money they weren't meant to have a fully loaded defense like this and I think they just have identified maybe some of those holes I think there's some answers that they can maybe find in free agency um, through that and you know maybe not the draft with the linebackers and safeties but maybe free agency so that to me is what stands out to me is Shoring up that defense so not every game's a shootout uh, that they have to get into, especially when they play better opponents. Their offensive line was a mess last year, health-wise. Injuries, So yeah. hopefully yeah. Titus Howard getting back. That's and he, it. There's a chance they bring back five starters. Kenny Green was yep. hurt all of last season. So Juice Scruggs had to play out of position. Juice like, Scruggs, yeah. so they, they, he slides back to center. There's yep. a chance that they have their starting offensive line already under contract for next season if think. they get healthier. Yeah. The only the biggest questions for me outside of who's going to play tight end and running back, which are big, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Do they are they do they get aggressive at tight end? Is another stopgap option? Do they take a swing at running back? Are they the team that goes after a Saquon Barkley or a Josh Jacobs mm-hmm. as those guys are seemingly going to hit free agency over the next few weeks here? Do they feel like they need one more pass catcher? 
So Robert Woods was one of those guys that when he came in last year, it fit the same flavor that we were talking about where it's like, we just need adults. We just need capable players around our rookie quarterback, and Robert Woods was almost the epitome of that. perfect. So now that we feel like, okay, it's not about a floor. It's about how far can we take this thing. Do they go seek out another outside receiver to put next to Nico Collins with Tank Dell being that third option? Because if you can get one more dynamic pass catcher involved there, whether it's a tight end or a receiver, combined with the offensive line getting healthier and what we saw from C.J. Stroud, the offense gets really yeah. interesting in a hurry. Like you say, it's the ceiling. It, yeah. It's the, yeah. Nico Collins looks like, shoot, a top 12 receiver right mm-hmm. now. And that's they have a dude. That guy is – lock him up. He – I went and got to study him a little bit recently, and I was just, yeah, he's legit. <laughs> this is not fake. This is not the offense. It's like that 6'4", moving like that is not real. He's he's hit. It's awesome to watch him develop. Um, John Mechie, to me, as like the dirty work guy, Yeah, that's the thing is people are going, oh, he'll ascend. It's like, I know he got drafted in day two and everything, and I know he had the leukemia stuff, but it's like now – He's the dirty work guy. He's the Robert Woods successor. And Noah Brown. Noah Brown's a free agent, too. So some of those, a couple of those guys that were the dirty work pieces within that offense. And yeah, so Mechie can do that. And all the other guys, too. I think Tank Dell, actually, he can win from the outside, even with his smaller size and everything. So, yeah, like you say, a tight end or a guy that can operate over the middle Mm -hmm. and just balance the rest of the guys out. I do think that could be a a nice little piece to drop in and give him a different little flavor just to get that type of pass catcher. Because I I look at backs, that running backs wise. I think they're set up to maybe take one guy on day two, and there's a guy I really like for them. It's Audric Estime from Notre Dame because I like him in a zone offense. And I've, so, I've seen the clips. He can roll. I've, I've seen the clips. How big is he? He's he's six one two twenty six. Oh, okay, I thought he was even bigger than that. He when I was be. I was watching he's you and Derek Klassen going back and forth with some of the stuff that he was doing, and I thought he was like even bigger than that. Oh size no, he's two thirty. Listen, yeah. two thirty. Yeah, but he he, can, lo- he looks like a big boy. He can roll. And he's he's built and everything. That and Dana and I've talked about. It. It's like you start studying the running backs, and it's like yeah, there's not the Bijan or the Jameer Gibbs, but it's like there's some good talent on day two. Plenty yeah. of kind of guys are at. Maybe, you know, Braylon Allen um, from Wisconsin, Audrick Estimated, those guys can maybe be your, you know, innings eater, 12, 15 carries every single week. But there's guys that's like, I love this guy as part of a rotation or committee, or they're the 40% guy with the 60% guy, you know, in the backfield. But they, they're kind of set for a nice little spot there. And I think in, uh, if we're talking about the offensive line, too, I think there's some guards in free agency that could fit for them, too. So to me, it's like they have some answers for some of these spots, which is more, which is better than some of these other teams we might talk about. But it's like, they're actually set up okay because it's like, I'm not reaching for a tackle. I'm not reaching for an yep. ace receiver. I'm not reaching for a corner. I'm not reaching for an edge. I'm not reaching for a quarterback. We're not reaching at any of the premium spots. That's a good spot to be in. And even though they traded their first-round pick to Arizona last year, the Will Anderson deal, they get a first-round pick yes. back from the Browns. Yes. So it's not like they're hurting for draft capital. They're still well-positioned to try to add pieces through the draft. And I guess the question for me as it relates to Houston and then a lot of the other teams we're going to talk about on this list how aggressive do you want to get? Right. Okay. So they have that $65 million in cap space. You're looking at positions, corners, another position of need. Yes. Is this a team like if Legereus Sneed hits the market, are you going to want a big splash, splash or two? And it's there's two competing philosophies happening here. Because what we've seen from Nick Casario for the most part before the Will Anderson trade it's a lot of patience. Yeah. It's a lot of moderate it's, swings. It's not even singles. It's like sacrifice flies. <laughs> and understandable <laughs> yes. when they were at that stage. Yes. So when they were at They're that stage. Just spin it and just so, chilling. But even if you look at where Casario comes from and just the way that New England yeah. operated when they were humming, there still weren't a lot of free agent splashes. Nope. Like that wasn't the way they often built the roster. You look at San Francisco, though, 
and what they've done over the last couple of years, they've been one of the most aggressive teams mm-hmm. in the league. We know about the trades. Mm-hmm. We know about Trent Williams, Christian McCaffrey, but the Niners have had a big swing in free agency consistently almost every single year. Yep. They signed Javon Hargrave yep. last year. They signed Javarius yep. Ward the year before that. So they have not been afraid. So I think what the Texans end up doing and what their plan looks like, the shape of it, is going to tell us a lot about organizational philosophy and organizational mindset when you have two guys at the center of it who kind of come from somewhat competing places. Yeah, and I mean, Patriots are Patriot guys are in Casario is like one of the most Patriot guys yeah. that you could ever have. Yeah, they are all about the nickel and diming roster building, which mm-hmm. is something I believe in. And something like that, that's why it's like, oh, do they just sign a guard in free agency? And they're like, that's it. We're good there. They they do the trade for Shaq Mason for yes. nothing. That, yes. that, that, but, is, that is how they was, do things. But it was great. Yeah. It was a fin- phenomenal move. But that's exactly right. They are... I know, so I'm, I'm curious. I think that's what will win out, but who knows? They're also the team that just traded a first-rounder for Will Anderson to move back up, like, you know, like last year in the draft. Like, you don't know exactly what they're going to go down. But, again, I think they're they got the premium spots, and they have a little bit of wiggle room until you have to pay those guys. It's like, oh, you got kind of a nice setup right here. And I, I'm, I, I want them to definitely add, of course, just don't get maybe don't get a little too crazy, you know. Just like kind of find thread that needle. Yeah, and about. I understand that you have a long runway. It's year two of this thing with Stroud. There's no reason to get overly yeah. aggressive right at the start. But I still think that there's probably a justification or a rationalization where it's like we can compete very quickly. Look at the AFC, if, okay, if, if we what we luck into a couple things, if we sign the right like difference making pieces or one or two, we can absolutely compete pretty quickly in the AFC. The I'm only just, the Jonathan Grenard thing is just huge. And that's, so that's what do they it. end up doing? That's because it. that's this is it's funny today I I tweeted out a joke about uh the Vikings trading Justin Jefferson. It's like when when Quasi Adolfo came out and said, Yeah, I haven't really thought about it. Yeah. Like, well yeah, it, why would you? Yeah. Because the entire point of getting multiple first-round picks and $35 million in cap space is to get a Justin Jefferson. And so with Grenard, they have $65 million in cap space. It's hard to find edges. It's really difficult to find productive edges. Double-digit sack guy. You have seen what he can do within this defense. He's gotten better pretty much every single year of his career. So would your cap space be well-served signing a guy like that compared to somebody from the outside? Maybe. So I think I completely understand them wanting – to bring him back if it's possible. Yep. I know that D'Amico Ryan's talked a little bit about that today. The lingering issue that we haven't really talked about is just what the running game looked like last year. Yeah. And so I think the question becomes, is that a product of rotating cast of characters along the offensive line, or can we get an upgrade to who's actually running the ball? I know it's not the smartest team-building thing, and I know in a vacuum it's probably not what you'd want to do, but it's hard for me not to imagine what this offense would look like with a healthier offensive line and – like. Josh Jacobs just running the ball. Yep. And they're, they're, they're set up to potentially yep. do it. And I, I, in a vacuum, I probably wouldn't do that. But because the offense already looked so good, I I have this tendency where like I want to speed it up a little bit. Rather than like the day, the day three prudent decision, right, dropping right. an actual difference maker to that spot and be like, all right, let's go from the 30th best rushing offense in the league to 10th, and let's really start cooking here. That's tempting for me. I get it. And – for me, it's the offensive line was because they tried because I never had qualms with like, oh, what are you running there yeah. or anything like that. And and what Bobby Sloak comes from, that's another thing. Retaining Bobby Sloak is yes. huge for yeah. the development of everything. Um, but I think I saw him last night too, as I was 
hacking up a loogie. And I was like, oh, God, really? As I'm walking by, I thought you got wa- to watch yourself. Here, I thought man. I was in the street by myself walking back to my hotel and I just hack and I, he rounds the corner. I'm like, hi, coach. <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, but no, I, I get what you mean. I, I think just that's hopefully you get the offensive line just somewhat healthy and then we can maybe see it because how explosive this offense was, yeah. especially throwing the ball. All right, we got to lift the floor. I mean, we talk about this with other teams. Uh, the Bills, what they reconfigured their run game and everything like that. They already have a commitment to it. Even though the run game was bad, Slowak was like, nope, I'm still doing it. This is my philosophy. This is what we're doing. I'm a Shanahan guy. So, okay, let's make it a, at least a quasi-strength as opposed to an outright weakness or just even average will make it so much better. Let's take in the AFC South, talk about the Colts here a little bit. They have $68 million in effective cap space. They're another team that just feels like so far ahead of schedule. Looking at the Colts' offense specifically, because you have a group that – far outpaced its expectations oh, yeah. with the backup quarterback, the offensive line played significantly better. As you're looking at the weapons specifically, and you imagine Anthony Richardson getting dropped back in this offense, which I know you oh, do yeah, multiple times all a day. The time, all the time. What do you want to see the Colts do this offseason to get the most out of Act 2 of the Shane Steichen anthony Richardson pairing here? I, I love him, but upgrade at receiver. I love him being Alec Pierce, but upgrade at outside receiver. Uh, I, I think that there's draft, especially where the guys sit, the type of guys Chris Bauer likes. This is his type of receiver draft. There's a lot of big X dudes out here that can run really well. I think that puts it over the top. I think also just obviously having Richardson back as opposed to Gardner Minshew throwing underneath will help. Having Jonathan Taylor the whole year will help. Um, I also think that their offensive line, we've talked about this, one of the most improved units in the entire NFL. I just think that one more dude at receiver. I really like Pittman, but he's kind of Pittman's a bona fide possession guy. I think, especially pairing with Richardson and his explosive ability to launch the ball, especially stuff over their intermediate. I really like their group of tight ends too. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that. Yeah, they've, they've got st- twenty of them, and they're all like decent. Yeah. <laughs> they're all funny, just different types of guys. So to me, if I want to juice up this offense, get it to the next spot. I think just adding another guy with pedigree on the receiver, especially a guy that can win on the outside, because I like downs from the slot. Um, so yeah, getting an outside guy that. I like Pierce, but maybe another one that's playing those ninety-nine percent snaps. What would you do with Pittman? I, because I don't know if I want to tag him, and I, I know they got space and everything, but I don't know, he's not that kind of level. But again, that's a more of a keep him around for a year. I think P- Pittman is a very, very high, ideally a very, very high end number two, as a low end one. So that ideally in a good, good offense. So what do you want to pay that? I would keep him. Obviously, he's a good player. But it's just that, okay, What I don't want to pay him top of the market so th- rate. This, is, this part, this exact stretch of the wide receiver hierarchy, yep. what those guys get paid, I'm very, very interested in how that happens. Because T. Higgins is going to be one of those guys. I think T. Higgins will be on the Bengals yeah. this year. We're going to talk about the Bengals yeah, yeah. in a little bit. They're in a different timeline. They're a different place in the timeline Absolutely. than the, the Colts are. So if you're Michael Pittman, and the tag for receivers is what? I think it's $21 million this year. Low 20s, yeah. So, I mean, if that – are you going to sign, and let's say if, with extensions, if he's a franchise – if he's a guy worth franchising and you do two tags as the guarantees, so now we're at 45-ish million, right, like 48-ish million, is he a guy that you'd be comfortable paying $25 million a year on an extension? I don't know. I don't either. I, I don't – he's one of the – he's a good player, yeah. but he is at the exact tier of receiver – where I start to ask, is it worth just going back into the draft and, and saying, find we'll, we'll find another one that can play like this? Right. I think that there are some guys that that's a fool's errand, 
28, 21.8 million is the franchise tag for receivers. I think there's some guys for whom that's a fool's errand. I think that you start thinking that with Justin Jefferson or CD Lamb yeah. or these true superstar difference makers, then you're going to be really sad. You're going to do the AJ Brown Titans thing. Yeah, yeah. But with Pittman specifically and like that group of guys where he's probably a top 18 receiver mm-hmm. in the league, is it better just to say, you know what? We'll tag him, we'll trade him, and we'll use that pick to go get a guy that we think can be as good as Michael Pittman. Uh, has more upside than that, or has a different or maybe a flavor. It's cheaper yeah. as well, yeah, and younger, all those types of things. No, no, it's it's a very important thing, too. And that's, I, I think, I mean, I just always remember the Christian Kirk sticker shock. <laughs> just but like that, that but that's, that's the tier that's of the guy. That's tier of guy that we're talking exactly. about. Good player, good player, but it's not, uh, uh, Quest, he had that great line when he was talking about Justin Jefferson. He said, you look for the blue chip guys and the blue chip personalities. Yeah. Blue chip. Pimmons what, a green chip? You know, maybe a little like that. So What's a green chip? I don't know. It's next cover down. You know, blue, green. <laughs> <laughs> blue, green. I thought what it was called. Blue, green, yellow, red. Uh, no, blue, green, yellow, orange, red. I'm just going to colorations of uh, the grading. <laughs> so, but if he's a green player, okay, I'm not going to pay blue chip money for a green player. That That's, to me, that's... That's how you lose money. That's the lack of surplus that we always like to use. That's the opposite of that. That's the overpay of that. Yeah. And that co- might not cost you this year, but aren't those kind of contracts biting the Jags in the ass a year or two yeah, later? It, it gives that's you less flexibility. Eventually the bill comes due. That's how it that's always, always works. So I think that's going to be their biggest question. Yeah. The biggest thing they have to answer is what they're ultimately going to do with him this offseason. After that, if we move to the defensive side yeah. of the ball, it becomes how are you going to add pieces? Mm-hmm. Because they need to need pieces in the secondary for the most part. Yes. They have a corner outside corner need. Kenny Moore's hitting free agency. Justin Blackman's hitting free agencies. So how they think about that secondary and how many resources they want to spend in reshaping it, I think becomes the second biggest question outside of how are we going to give Anthony Richardson what he needs. Absolutely. It, uh, Kenny, Kenny Moore played great uh, in his time with the Colts and everything. And their kind of front seven is a lot of fun to watch, especially play the run the last couple of years. It helps when Gus Bradley loads the box every yeah. single snap. But when Grover Stewart was Grover in the lineup, Stewart, it made a huge difference. He's also a free agent That was another year. guy I was going to bring up. He's 30. He's barely missed time. He only missed time last year because of PED suspension, which is also he's 30. So, okay. <laughs> uh, that might be related. But that's a guy I would be like, hey, if I can get this guy back one or two years, especially at the nose, I think those guys age better than a lot of other positions because it's not quick twitch. That helps because him, DeForest Buckner, the guys they have at linebacker, that's an identity of their defense. Um, yeah, I think they for sure need an outside corner. Uh, I, I like Juju Brents. They, that's just what you're looking at. It was like undrafted free agent, seventh round or oh, sixth round. They, they, they were just, just pedigree. They were literally just trying to throw guys out there and, and seeing what stuck last year. And, I, and that was the state of their roster. They were, it was a reset year. It was. That was the entire point. That almost made the playoffs. Yes. Yeah. With, with, with Gardner Mitchell at quarterback for most of the year. They, but again, they're set up in this draft to take a guy, a corner where they're at in the draft. Like that, that, that's right where the run of corners is going to be in that kind of late teens range. My kind of just doing some mocks and kind of figuring where these guys stack up. So it actually set pretty well to take a guy with pedigree, like I said, because there's really good talent at the corner position. Um, so I think that's like that's like the easiest answer. I think outside corner for sure is the guy that they have to invest in. I'll be curious how they spend some of that money. They have not been very aggressive in free agency in terms of those big, splashy signings. I don't anticipate that to change now, even again, if based on the success last year, there's a little bit more urgency. So we'll see how that ultimately goes. I want to see what they think of their offense. That's my biggest question about the Colts this offseason. How they address certain positions, how they spend resources on that side of the ball, and what it tells us about how they feel their team looks and what they need moving forward for Richardson. Yes, I think we're going to find out a lot about 
their vision for who they want to be on that side of the ball this year because they've had an entire season to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, they shoot, they proved me wrong right away. I was like, really? You're not going to help out your offensive line last year? And then look what happened. So, yeah. like, you never, the Lions are another example going, like, really? You're not going to, oh, wow, okay, these guys grow. So, you, again, like you're saying, it's a self-assessment, self-scouting, and we don't know until we see their moves. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, let's get to the other side. The NFC house money teams that we're going to talk about here, both the Packers and the Rams. Both of these teams did make the playoffs last year, despite, I think, finishing 32nd and 31st in cash spending in the NFL. And That's hilarious. Th- so this is and the Rams had the second most dead cap. Second most dead cap. And again, it's hard to have more reset heavy years yeah. than those two yeah. teams did. And as we're trying to figure out, okay, why would a team that overachieved continue to be successful? Why are these teams going to be different than the 2022 Giants? And I think there are multiple reasons. One, the quarterbacks yeah. of these teams are better. <laughs> yes. And I think that you're betting on those guys specifically and – just that would be them being a stabilizing force more than anything else. But I think looking at a team like the Packers, looking at a team like the Rams, and just understanding the lack of ambition they had in building the roster last year and how that's going to change, that to me is a sign of like, okay, that's why this could get even better yes. as, as we continue moving forward here. The, I, my question for both of them, kind of similar to the Texans and the Colts, is how aggressive do they get? Yeah. Like, is this a do they see this year? as a important kind of crucial year to compete. And I think the most important factor with that is that Jordan Love is 24, mm-hmm. 25. Mm-hmm. Matthew Stafford is in his mid-30s. Mm-hmm. The Rams last year, despite all the youth on defense, had the seventh oldest offense in the NFL by snap-weighted age. Oh, because Cooper. Cooper. Yep. Uh, Havenstein is getting up hey, there. So, yeah, yeah. So, then, yeah, he, so even with Robinson, Nakua... Yeah. They have a lot of guys who are on the wrong side of 30 yeah. kind of getting a little bit older in their careers. So does the Stafford aspect of this and Darren Donald and the aging core aspect of this cause the Rams to maybe be a little bit more aggressive than a team like the Packers, Colts, or Texans might be just because they're in slightly different stages? And the Rams, too, is that uh, 
we've seen both philosophies the last couple of years. So, yeah, yeah. we're pushing everything. We're trading everything. And then now, like you said, they did a hard reset. I don't know. I want to know what they think of having a first-round pick. Where they're going like, first uh, time in a long time, man. I don't know how this fits. I don't know, like, if I, I ever like this. You know, so I don't know how they're going to weaponize that and use that. I Again, they're another team that I think with the weaknesses they have on the roster, DB being one, you know, again, they played greater than the sum of their parts. Like, they, they this was a team, this was a – they were so well coached. And I know we've talked about them, but gushed about them. This is why Raheem Morris got the freaking head coaching job in Atlanta. But I think where they're sitting in this draft, especially with that first rounder, they actually are set pretty well to maybe go interior offensive line or corner. Mm-hmm. And again, those are spots that, again, this is where that area of the draft that makes sense. Trading back, getting more draft capital and figuring out getting more youth. I mean, they're nailing, they nailed last year's draft. And again, you can't always bank that we're going to nail every draft, but it's like, hey, what's. See if this heat check keeps going. Let's get some more draft capital. So we'll see if they kind of lean different than how they've done in the past. But I'm just curious. I have no idea how this, this Rams team is going to think. I don't know uh, what the mindset is. I don't because either. Because we knew what the mindset was for years, and then they correctly yes. took a step back and throttled it down last year and said, okay, everybody take a breath. Yes. It was, Let's what figure out we? what exactly. <laughs> who do we want to be? How do we want to build this for the future? It worked out as well as it possibly yep. could have. Yep. That version of it of – Let's take a step back. Let's calm My down. My favorite offense in the league. Led to complete re-innovation of what the yeah. offense was, but also led to them restocking the cupboard with cheap talent through the draft. Yes. So now that that one reset year, that one take a breath year went so well, are they going to get Go back in? Like, let's fucking <laughs> right. put the pedal on the floor mode? I have no idea. I have no idea. But that question of like how aggressive they want to be because of – how well Stafford played last year and what your window actually looks like compared to some of these other younger ascending teams, I think that becomes kind of the existential question that Sean McVay and Les Need have to answer this off. And also, you started this off like saying, like, oh, Aaron Donald's getting up there, Stafford's getting up there, do they want to you know, win one for the Gipper kind of thing? Like, hey, win one for these old guys and push for them. They don't want to go into this quasi-rebuild, revamp or anything, not that they are. They already brought back Demarcus Robinson which I thought was interesting. He did – they had chemistry in the offense. It worked. I want to say something. I like DeMarcus <laughs> Robinson. And even a couple of years ago when he was the number one receiver on the Raiders yeah, and there was no one to throw the ball there. to, every time DeMarcus Robinson's been in a game, like when he was on the Raider, the Ravens, when there was no one else, and he I was watching him. DeMarcus Robinson, I was like, DeMarcus Robinson's fine. Is, I don't understand why we just don't think DeMarcus Robinson's a useful, useful right. NFL player. If you think Michael Gallup is useful, all right, then DeMarcus Robinson easily. But obviously they did. They, I mean, they love Tutu Atwell, and as soon as they got Robinson out there, they're like, hey, some size out there? This is great. Uh, yeah. No. Also, they uh, I didn't realize this was Shelton Coleman's a free agent, uh, their center, who yeah. had a really nice year. Yep. But, but they already it, cut Brian Allen, yes. so they, they That's interior the offensive line. And again, they're, where they're at in the draft, there's Graham Barton from Duke, who I actually think they would really like, especially his versatility. Um, Jackson Powers Johnson from Oregon. I've watched him come, kind of come down a little bit on him, a little bit. His, his, his it, hand, it, he's a freak, but his hand usage is a little, little raw. Yeah, Dane, I, when you guys were talking on the show last week, Dane was talking about how it's he's it's not he's not a technician by any no. stretch, but the over the overwhelming physicality is something that's easy to fall in love he's with. A, he's yeah. a rare size athlete combo at the center at any yeah. interior spot. So that's what you're betting on. He's uh, he's young. He doesn't have a lot of time. It's just one of those. All right, like we just talked about, are the Rams going for a guy like Grant Barton who's more ready made, or are they building to the future and adding the strength there? Again, I'm just making up my own timeline here. But that's again, it's curious what they want to go through. I, I just I'm curious what they go on day three because now I'm like, who do the Rams like on day three? Because yeah. it's because <laughs> they've been nailing these guys. Shoot, even at DB, they had Jordan Fuller. 
Um, it's like, all right, he, all right, when he came back healthy this year, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're pretty good. It's another day three guy. And so what they go in, who they angle, I'll be, I'll be curious as long as Les Dean, Sean McVay there, who these guys take on day two and day three because they nailed a lot of guys. And I, so you're looking at the draft. I'm looking at free, free agency, agency because I want to see how aggressive they're going to be at the positions of need. They need a corner. Yes. They need another outside corner. They, I, they absolutely, absolutely do. do. That was, again, another group, position group was completely thrown together last year. And they need another edge rusher. Yeah. I mean, they, those are their two biggest positions you know, like Michael of Hoyt. need. <laughs> God bless Michael Hoy and everything that he did for them. But they need another starting edge rusher <laughs> yeah, on the other side of Byron Young. So it, you look at this free agent class, and there are some big ticket yep. items available at those positions. We'll see what happens with the franchise tag, obviously. Mm-hmm. But how aggressive the Rams are, to me, again, is a signal of what they think of them and their windows, right. similar to those AFC teams. Transitioning to the other team as part of this conversation with Green Bay and where the Packers are, they're another team where it's like, okay, you have a guy at court. The, the biggest question for them, obviously, is what the Jordan Love contract is going yep. to look like. And it feels to me like it's just going to be a market-level extension. Yep. Okay? So th- I completely understand that. The way that he played, I think that's it's the going rate at quarterback, mm-hmm. and he showed enough where I would feel good about that. I'm sure they're thrilled that they get to pay him. It's, it's, <laughs> it is a great problem to <laughs> yes. have. But so after that, so you, now he's at, I think, $12 million this year. Okay. Even on an extension, you'll be able to keep that number fairly low, low yeah. in the first couple years. So he's not going to get – he's not going to be an anvil to the team-building process very quickly that they're still going to have enough financial flexibility over the next couple of years. So this year and even going into next year, what do they think of their window? Because unlike the Rams, this is one of the youngest teams in the league. So do you still feel that level of urgency to spend a little bit this year if you can create some financial wiggle room because you think you're close? Or do you continue to slow play this thing and say, eh, we got to figure out the Bakhtiari money, Kenny Clark's making $27 million against the cap, We'll have more flexibility in 2025. That's the year where we'll push our chips into the middle. So after the love thing, that to me becomes the biggest question is how much urgency do you have to kind of push yourself into that next tier of teams in the NFC? They have so many young players. I know you just talked about the roster, but even just looking at it, looking at the RLADs, and you see all these other teams, and it's orange, 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 orange everywhere, meaning they're a free agent. And everything you look at theirs, and it's just like locked, locked, free, yeah. re- drafted 2022, 2023, uh, those types of things. But the, the only I, free agents, the only free agents that were starters last year for them, yep. John Runyon, yep. Josiah DeGuara, Rudy Ford, Darnell Savage, Keyshawn Nixon, guys you probably wanted to replace anyway. Correct. So those are the five UDF, the five UDFAs on the first line of the depth chart. It's, Other guys, Josh Nyman, AJ, AJ Dillon, et cetera. Yeah. But this is the type of player and the tier of player within this roster that we're talking about. And it's the Packers. They march at their own own speed. They do everything at their own pace, which makes me think that they just going to slow and steady, keep going they, with that philosophy. That's that one good Kunst year where he really opened the checkbook that first year. I can't get that out of my mind as I think but about... I think that might be next year. Potential. You, so maybe yeah, it's next yeah. year. But that, that to me becomes no, the question. And they they could absolutely free up some more space. They could save $20 million if they cut Bakhtiari. Yeah. And then there's some other things that they could potentially do. Kenny Clark, I mentioned, has a $27 million cap hit. Is there an extension there to get that number down? $27 million. Well, they, they had to move some stuff around. Yeah. And he's also much younger than he, you remember he was him 20 being, years old as a rookie. Because he's yeah. so young yeah. coming in. Yeah. So if they can free up, let's say... Let's say it's $35 million in cap space if they move on from Bakhtiari. Do they try to go get a couple pieces and say, we can be competitive right now, or do they hit the brakes a little bit and understand that it's 
a multi-year thing that they should consider. There's one spot that I, I keep looking at. I think they need DB help more than anything. Yeah. I think how their philosophy of the offensive line is like, hey, we got guys in day two, day three. We're going to grow them, develop them, be versatile, all that. But it's like I ask our listeners right now, name me a Packers safety under contract right now. They don't have one. None. Yeah. No, none. <laughs> so they need to find one and if you're or two. And I think there are some safeties available in free agency. Yes. And I also, there is one, again, because my mind's on the draft, is there is one guy I love for the Green Bay Packers because of his versatility on the back end. That's Cooper DeGene from Iowa. What position is he best at? Packers can just go wherever we need him. Yeah. Start him at safety. And then as soon as, if we have to move on from Jair Alexander in a couple of years, okay, now he's an outside corner. Or if we don't return Nixon, we don't know who's in the slot. Okay, now he's our slot guy. So that's he's kind of a guy that his versatility is such an asset because they might have holes at so many potential spots. That, to me, is like, oh, I love that because I think the offensive line will solve itself and how their philosophy is with it. So safety, 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 safety for them, which I actually think they have some decent answers. And they that this is a good year. A lot of years are good years to need free agent safeties. There's always a safety available. In you free can find a scheme fit one. There's always money yes. in the banana stand. Always. <laughs> yes, the and there stand. is always money in the safety stand every single year. Here are the guys that we're talking about this year. And the, these are all like – Actual quality I, starters I the first in the NFL. Well, well, Buda Baker is at the top of this list, but okay. we have uh, tra- uh, CJ Gardner Johnson, Jordan Whitehead, Chuck Clark, who was hurt last yep. year. Solid player. Uh, Mike Edwards, who played well for the Chiefs last season. Kyle Duggar, Xavier McKinney, Antoine, Antoine Winfield is a potential free agent. Geno Stone Cameron is a free Curl. agent. Cameron Curl. Yep. So if you if you're looking at it, let's say we get we draft one and we pay one. Eight to ten million dollars yep. a year in free nice agency. Middle, middle they are, that is more than achievable yep. for them at that position specifically. Agreed. And then the question becomes: If you move on from Bakhtiari, who plays left tackle? But Rashid Walker is still under contract, and he was capable he by the end yes. of last year. Yes. So there, there is a world where they can move on from an All-Pro left tackle, have some financial flexibility, and don't really have to touch their offensive line whatsoever. That's crazy. And, what do and you have depth? What do you think about the pass catchers? Like, do you feel like if you're looking at this group right now? Do they need to do anything in your mind, or will you just roll with the same group again? I think they're going to roll with the same group because I know they really like Christian Watson, yeah. and so they think he can be the Nico Collins developed guy, that guy that, like, hey, we really grow him. Um, so I think that Gene Reed, I think, is very good, and I think a lot of us think that he can be a Z or and a I, slot. Dontavian Wicks can Dontavian play. Wicks is a development. So that's four that I just we just named right there, and that's before Romeo Dobbs, the original one that everyone was hyped up about, who still actually had some better moments in the second half of the year. Tight end-wise, I love those two guys, so I would think they're yeah. set there with Musgrave and Kraft. Kraft, holy crap, in the second half of the year, became like a good starter as a rookie at tight end, blocking freaking like Montez Sweat one-on-one, which is just insane. But so long, you know, my short answer to this is like, I actually think they're okay to keep developing these guys. I don't think they need to make a big splash to bring in that ace guy. If they like a guy on day two, there's it's a deep class. If you want to draft another guy in round three, hey, we might find another one that has to be 195 pounds. <laughs> I can tell you that. That was my favorite when they drafted Reed, and I was like, oh, they drafted the guy, 189 pounds. I go, no, no, actually, they, they said when he came in for a visit, he was 196. The, the visit and then the other side of it that I think allowed them to feel as good as they did about him was the return stuff. Oh, yeah. The fact that he had return ability, I think, allowed them to fudge some of their original yes. rules based on how I understood it, talking to people. It makes a lot of sense. Oh, and me, and me and Dane were both so high on Reed, and it was like he played exactly how he played at Michigan yeah. State. This guy's useful. And he's good. He just checks a he's lot. He's explosive, of man. Yes. Every time, every time the ball seems to be in his hands, good things happen. That's how I feel about Wicks too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Wicks is like. I mean, they didn't develop him at all, Virginia, in the last couple of years. But it's with uh, with Reed. It's like they're using him on jet sweep stuff. I didn't yeah. picture him as a gadget guy like that. He's good at it. So there might be more to even tap into. 
All right, let's change the tone of this conversation okay. a little bit. How because those was. four teams, it, it's all optimism all the time. The, We're in the season of hope. The, the question with those four teams is, how are they going to try to get better? Like, it, how quickly are they going that's to get great? great? That, that's the tone of that conversation. Two teams, and you could throw other teams into this conversation as well that we're about to have. We talked about the Bills a little bit last mm-hmm, week. Mm-hmm. I think other teams that are, like the Cowboys could be mentioned here. Always. The Ravens could be con- mentioned here. So these two teams that we're going to talk about are the what now contenders. You felt like you were a potential Super Bowl team last year. You fell short for one reason or another. Now what do you do? And that discussion in my mind starts with the Miami Dolphins. They are $37.5 million over the cap right now. That's after cutting Xavier Howard. That's after cutting Emmanuel Agba, which added up to $30 million in savings. They have several restructure candidates, potentially. Okay. Tyree Kill, Bradley Chubb. Okay. But they're going to need to do some work to even get camp compliant. And that's before we talk about how they're going to add to this team. And you look at certain position groups within this it's, roster, their three starting interior offensive was, linemen are all free agents. Yeah. That, and it, what was their weakness last year? <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was – I didn't know it was all three. I knew two of them were free agents, and it was all three. Uh, yeah, offensive line help. I mean, that's it. It sinks their season every year, so what's what's shore this up? And you go but to the other I, side of the ball, they're two starting interior defensive linemen, Raekwon Davis and Christian Wilkins, yep. who's like a Pro Bowl-level player, yes. also and, are slated to hit free agency. they've already – I think like a month or two ago, they talked about Wilkins and how – how they even talked was just, uh, you know, uh, we hope for the best. And it was like, oh, so this is not happening. Like, you aren't bringing him back. So yeah, it's even if they tried to franchise tag him right now, with uh, that's hard to do. How? Just money wise, yeah. it would be very difficult to do that. And they need a starting outside corner. Uh, uh, with, now that they lost Howard, Howard has dropped off. Cam Smith last year, they drafted in the second round, did not play. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't play either. But the, and oh my God, Ramsey's comments like, oh, the guy uh, Fangio didn't let us play. I was like, well, I think he was playing that way to hide Howard a little bit. He was trying to help out. But that was the thing. If you, we broke down the Dolphins' defense, and it was like, all right, how do you attack him? Throw it to the non Ramsey side. Or when Ramsey wasn't playing, it was throw it to the non Howard side. Now that's permanent. Now, okay, so outside corner, interior offensive line. Wow, we're already starting there. And like you said, it's not like they have a ton of money or a ton of resources to just throw out all these issues. This morning, Mike McDaniel came out, was talking about the potential two extension. They want to get it done. They're enthusiastic about it. It's like, this is something we're going to work on. So I guess this is just happening. Okay. Okay. I, I guess it's and, – and that's what – That's is, interesting to me. This is where I'm at with this team is that we, I have so few reasons to believe that even with how banged up they were in the second half of last year on defense, it's hard to imagine a world – where the Miami Dolphins are better positioned in 2024 than they were last year, even with some of the injuries they were enduring on defense. And so there's two different versions of this conversation with these AFC teams. There's the team that has fewer resources and fewer pathways to get better, and there's a team like the Bengals where you wonder, okay, how are they going to ultimately end up doing this? But with the Dolphins, I'm fairly pessimistic as I look at what this looks like right now and why the results might be different by the end of next year. Well, and if they want to bring back Tua and and make the extension with them, it's like, again, we've watched how these last, well, two seasons ago, obviously with his injuries, but, like, we've seen the limitations that happen when stuff gets tighter. And it's like, okay, so we know what's happened here. Are you going to change another scheme thing? And, I mean, one of the best innovators and one of the best offensive minds. And it's like, okay, is he going to add a new level to it? But, again, we now have one hand tied behind our back. Like you said, it felt like last year was kind of that push where it kind of the stars aligned. And yep. this actually kind of works in our, our division, too. So 
They're in a tough spot. That, that, that was my first note on it. I go, they're in a tough spot as looking at this, but I think the Tua question is going to be the first one that we have to see how they answer it. And then well, part of the Tua thing is if you extend him, can then you get that number down, down this year? And they be, But that becomes a consideration. Like They have to save money, so committing to him long-term might be a way to save money. They're, over, they're 30 over right now? Yeah. Okay, so they could probably save like 18 like with that. Okay, they're still over in double yeah. digits. So They're going to need to restructure somebody. A lot. They're, they're going to need to restructure somebody. Tyreek Hill is a... Uh, $20 million base salary. Okay. Bradley Chubb is a $20 million okay. base salary. So just simple restructures with both of those yeah. guys can get them to a pretty decent place. But they're not going to have a lot of additional resources to improve in some of these areas. No. Let's shift our focus here to the to the Bengals, who obviously fell short last year for very different reasons than Miami did. But again, I think if you're trying to bucket these teams together, it's the one step down you know, borderline contender in the AFC. And that's how the Bengals feel. And part of the reason for that is that this defense just took a step back last year. So the defense just didn't feel like the same caliber of unit. And now we've gotten to a place where what is the offense going to look like? They came out and franchised T. Higgins immediately. Right away. <laughs> and so I wonder what that means. I wonder if they're trying to get that done as quickly as possible to give them as much potential runway as they can on trading him and getting something for him. That would surprise me. It would though. too. I guess I feel because like, I still think this is a really important year. I yeah. still think you can justify or rationalize this idea of like, okay, if we bring him back for one year, it's worth franchising him because we are going to be a contender in the AFC. Even last year when we were talking about the moves they make, the Orlando Brown stuff and everything, it felt like it was a two-year push. Even yeah. just looking at their contracts, yeah. everybody it seems like everybody's going through this year. And so that's why I don't feel like it changes. Even if you just go, hey, we're tagging Higgins and the extension doesn't happen, of course that can – create other problems down the road. You can tag him again next year or whatever. But this was all, it felt like the push before we have to pay Joe Burrow, they did that, but then the push before we have to pay Jamar Chase, and then we have, all right, our resources are dwindling even if we have these two stars. That it, So to me, it feels like, okay, we're still in this. We're still pushing this year how much that is, what they want to finagle. You know, Tower Boyd is another free agency. This is a team that loves being 11 personnel. So I've seen some uh, – like, they drafted Charlie Jones from Purdue last year. He's a decent return and everything. He's a slot guy, so is he the guy that comes up and steps up? Or are they going to bring him back and go, no, we have the whole band back together? They literally have no tight ends. Like, yeah. that, that's another thing. Well, they, that's just a, a position that's that stopped gap they, over the last couple offseasons. I actually like the guys that they ended up playing last year. Not Irv Smith, but the uh, – sorry, Irv. But uh, the, the Tanner Hudson yeah. and Drew Sample, they actually did okay. Like, uh, yeah, those guys, I thought so. the Tanner Hudson actually gave them more yeah. than I expected down Same. the back half. But it's okay, so now it's – what do they do with Joe Mixon? Yes, is, another year older. Does Chase Brown get more of a workload because they're looking for more explosiveness? Do they try to find some explosiveness to tight end? If, if Higgins is back, then, okay, you still need a right tackle. Right. So there's just so many looming questions about this team where they felt two years ago, like, oh, man, straight, straight up, up, man. Straight up. In, and so now in. that we're like two years later, that this is where – this is that reality you're potentially looking at if you're a Texans or you're a Colts staring into your own future is what the Bengals feel like right now. Right, and, and for them with the draft, and I know Bengals fans are going back and forth. I've seen them. They, they wanted Johnny Newton from Illinois for a little bit. Now they want to tackle. Now they want a receiver. Well, they need the, an interior offensive, defensive lineman because of uh, Reader, Reader's hitting Reader, free agency Reader. as well. So I made that one make sense to me too. And, oh, man, but it's – for me – I can understand both arguments. Oh, my God, this feels like the uh, Penny Stool, Jamar Chase are discussing again all over again. I actually understand if they did go with a high receiver in this draft, which at first I would have said no way, 
but then that gives you a succession plan with T. Higgins. Yeah. And he can be on the field at the same time. In this class, there's a lot of guys that can work inside and outside. Also, if you want to trade him this offseason, you could. Now you have a, if you, a Because player. now there's no way to know right. before free agency starts, before you get to the draft. But let's say you land a guy you feel really good about. I would almost guarantee you there would be a team that didn't get their receiver during the draft oh. that would be open to trading for a T. Higgins and extending Absolutely. Him. Yes. Absolutely. T. Higgins is a very good player <laughs> that a lot of people like. Yeah, so, um, But they also have a brain drain, losing Brian Callahan. Yes. So that's another thing, too. But it's... They're in an interesting spot, uh, obviously, because they're near this contendership. Because even if, okay, we just talked about the receiver. If they want to go tackle, like you say, maybe get a right tackle. Okay, then we also have a succession plan there. If he wants to bump over when Lando Brown moves on potentially or anything like that. So do they look at just as this one-year thing? Are we looking at it as a two-year, three-year answer thing? That's I think with the hard. draft, they've always been really patient in how they've looked at that. It's Dex always Hill been succession safety, plans. Yes. DJ Turner last year. Yes, that's yes. another position. Jadobi Wuze is going to be a free agent this year. So there's a lot of transition happening on yeah. this team. I'm tempted, and whether it's right or wrong, whether it's fair or unfair, to look at the offense and say they'll figure it out. They were a borderline top 10 offense last with year. Burrow <laughs> with Burrow bad for a month. Bad for a month. And then, then the missing the back half of the season. <laughs> and so they need a right tackle, and yep. we'll see what happens with Higgins. But my temptation is if Burrow is back healthy, they'll figure out that side. I think so too. The defense to me becomes the biggest question. This is a team that finished 23rd in defensive DOA last year and 32nd in explosive play rate, play rate allowed on defense last season. So is that just a question of the safeties getting better and progressing? Now we're in year two of Jordan Battle, year three of Dax Hill. You know, the corners are young, but we've, we've drafted guys there. We have Cam Taylor Britt. We have DJ Turner. Mm-hmm. Mike Hilton is back this year. So is that, okay, we're, we're going to bank on in-house development from those guys. We're not going to need to necessarily add any splashy pieces. That's risky. It is. Like, if they end up doing that, I think they're, that comes with inherent risk based on how the defense looked last season. Because we talked, we've, are, have gushed, uh, and, and praise these teams that did commit to their guys and say, hey, they are going to develop them. The, if you don't have a backup auxiliary plan in case things go sour, not just injuries, just development stalling, oh, shoot. We just yeah. we didn't address that that entire offseason because we thought so-and-so was going to be a good player for us. That happens to teams all the time. It's, it, it happens. It's just how it goes. But that's the risk that you play with that. And I, I'm actually even glad you brought up like, Joe Mixon. At running back, okay, that's a big part of this offense, even as we think of all the pass catchers and everything. Mixon's development as a pass protector helped a lot yeah. last year. Um, I know it's weird to hear like a year five, year six running back finally developed pass protection. they could keep him on the field on third down for years. Years. Because, I mean, that's, the, the entire point of Samaje Ryan was because <laughs> Joe Mixon couldn't play on third it. down. That's why he was Ryan getting all those little ch- catches and check downs and why I talk about him too much on the show. I understand Joe question. Mixon as a stabilizing force, as someone heavily invested in Chase Brown future fantasy stock. I'm really hoping right, it becomes Chase. Chase Brown time here very soon within this Bengals offense. But yeah, it's funny. But that's the, 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 <laughs> the explosiveness delta between those two it's when they touched the ball different. last year was absolutely hilarious. It's going to be wildly different. But again, it's another question. Like another, like not just outright like, oh, we have no answer, but it's like, is this answer good enough? And that, that's, they have a lot of that throughout the roster. I, I understand why this can't happen. I understand that David Mulugeta is T. Higgins' agent. He is going to ask for every single dollar. He is not going to budge on some of this structure stuff that the Bengals are famous for. Famous for is a good way to put it. Infamous for. Famous for is a good way to put it. Notorious. It still feels like there would have been a way to figure this out. It still feels like they're, they have $112 million in 2025 You said that space. to me before, and I was like, they do? I, I'm, I'm, I know I'm missing something, but I was, I was talking to Paul Diener Jr. yesterday. I was like, there's no way they can figure this out. And he's like, no, nah, I, I don't think that there's any way they can do it. It's like, okay. I just, with, I, 
at a certain point, right. it's like, okay, I'll, I'll just yeah. accept that that's true, and I will operate under those circumstances. But this is a pivotal offseason for this team at, with the Burrow contract. So he his cap it, I think, goes from $29 million this year to 46 next mm-hmm. year, and then they have to pay Jamar Chase. So that's- this is a very, very important year for a team trying to squeeze everything they can out of this core as they continue to try to be competitive. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. Let's move on to our last bucket of teams here. We're calling these the new regime rebuilds, okay? Teams that are bringing either a new new head coach or a new front office and are really kind of taking this thing in a new direction. I want to start with the New England Patriots. Mm -hmm. I personally think that the New England Patriots are the most fascinating team of the offseason. And it's for this reason. I like that. We didn't know what their scouting process was until this morning when somebody asked Elliot Wolf, who is the de facto GM yes. of the Patriots, how does your scouting system work now? It, what was for, his answer? It, they changed it. They are no longer doing that role-specific so Patriots grading system. So it's a Wolf system. They are going to a completely different grading system. And so that, these are the sort of fundamental things huge. that we, I wanted to know about the Patriots. Yeah. When I, at the Super Bowl, so this was three weeks ago. Yeah. 
I was talking to a Patriots writer that I know, and this is before Elliot Wolf was announced as the guy who was going to speak mm-hmm. at the combine today. It was before we understood what shape the front office was going to take. I was like, who's in charge? The, who's in charge? How does the scouting department work? What sort of offense are you going to run? The biggest question I had about this team was, if they moved on from Belichick, was it going to be a small pivot into just a different version of what they had right. always done? The fact that that doesn't seem to be the answer leaves me very intrigued about what the path forward for New England ultimately ends up looking like. And I think so, because the that Patriots scouting that you know Belichick and Pioli kind of came up with Scott Pioli when in New England is it's specific it's a very it's unique they so they, here's the quote he gave about it today, okay okay Elliot, Elliot Wolf at the combine today said we changed the grading system it's okay. more similar to what we did in Green Bay okay the previous Patriots system was more this is what this role is and our new system is value based so it makes it a lot easier for scouts to rate guys and put them in a stack of this that this guy's the best this guy's the worst and everything falls into place I think it accounts value better and makes it easier for the scouts. And I know why. That we, that's a whole other topic of why he's saying that, because I actually have some agreement with that, with some of this, <laughs> even though this is the system I got uh, raised in, I guess, or groomed in. Um, no, that's interesting, because, again, this is Ron Wolf's son. Elliot Wolf's been around for forever, even if he's only a few years older than us. I think with him is that, that what is it? It's height, weight, speed, and it's the trenches. Height, weight, speed, and the trenches. And I'm looking at the rumor of the quarterback that's going to him at pick three in Daniels. That seems opposite to me of what maybe the philosophy is, of, of the, what he believes in the Wolves, uh, just my assessment of it. Look what Jordan Love's built like. Yeah. You know, just the guys that the Packers took at that quarterback position. I think there is a threshold for that. They have thresholds at every position. We just joked about and the receivers. You, to me, you, in your mind, Daniels doesn't fit the toolsy aspect of that enough. Not an arm enough and not size. Yeah. Just straight up size. Because he's I'm slight. Like, yeah. Very slight. Yeah. And I, don't, I think he's maxed out. I, I think this is what his build is. Well, he's like 28 years old. It's like, it, there's a lot of concerns with him. I'm writing about it right now, but uh, yeah, I, I have a little more more alarm bells going into the, after the process than I had going in. But to me, at pick three, but that's a driver's seat. Maybe I don't like Daniels, but there's like, probably plenty of teams that like him, and maybe they want to move up, and maybe you stay in the top ten and you get that lineman or receiver and recoup there. Okay, but again, what's the threshold there? What are you guys looking at? What do you guys identify as your weakness? Is the defense staying the same because Mayo is Mayo and he's a Patriot guy? Are they going to use that the same way? And then they way? promoted within for their defensive coordinator right. job as well, coming yep. to their defensive line coach is now the D.C. So yeah, that I expect to stay fairly similar. similar. But the but fact that the scouting process are changing, that is huge. notable to me. That was the biggest question I had, is even if you didn't Here. bring in a new GM from the outside, is are you going to actually follow a different sort of process? And it does seem like they are. Here are the receivers they've drafted recently. Tyquan Thornton. He, Elliot Wolf wouldn't draft him because yeah. he's 180 pounds. Okay, uh, uh, Booty maybe, but uh, even Demario Douglas, who actually has some juice and is a good player, yes, he's he a pop, if you will. <laughs> yes, he does. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, but he was a day three guy, and I get that. There's some leeway there, but again, he would not be looked at traditionally by the Packers system. So I'm just saying one position there. But they look at even if they look at offensive line, like Belichick always kind of like guys. They were always about hands, that, which I always thought was interesting. While the Packers system is more, hey, look how like dancing bear this three cones. It's it's literally three cone times. They have a three cone threshold in in Green Bay, and they've had one for years. And if you look at some of these Patriots offensive linemen over the years, yes, there's been some Joe Tooney and everything. Cole Strange is a good athlete as well. But there's a lot. There's the Shaq Masons of the world. There's a lot of weird body type guys. Yeah. Yeah. So it's different. Again, that's just these are just two positions we're talking about. 
that that's a whole overhaul of what they've done for 20-something years. I think there's limitations of how the Patriots did it. Obviously, how you see this roster is made up and everything, some of the skill guys. But I think that's what is naturally going to bring juice because Elliott Wolf has those thresholds. So they're going to move on from J.C. Jackson, I'm going to almost guarantee it. That would bring them to like $90 million in cap space. Okay. Kyle Duggler and Michael Wenu. Just not guys you'd want. I, I would, wouldn't you want him, Wenu? Like he's a good, like he can play guard and tackle. I, I don't know. I feel like you have to. Like and he's homegrown. Like and Kyle Duggar's, Duggar's is a pretty nice been, piece. Well, that oh, I love Duggar, but that second team All Pro last year or two years ago. But the that's why I'm curious if Mayo and that defensive philosophy doesn't change. Duggar's amazing for this. Yeah. If I'm in a Fangio defense, eh, Duggar is yeah. like okay, you yeah. know. But as a tight end eraser type and does what all the versatile versatile stuff that he does, dimebacker stuff. Yeah, I love him. For the Patriots, other defenses, maybe not as much, as much as I love Kyle Duggar. So beyond the what are the Patriots going to look like, what are their processes going to look like, they own the draft. That number three pick becomes the most important pivot point in the entire draft. Yep. Do they just say, we're getting a quarterback? Well, we, we, we love the three quarterbacks, we're getting a quarterback. If that's the answer, it becomes less interesting yeah, because absolutely. it's no longer a trade piece, it no longer becomes a pivot point. I, I have not watched Daniels enough to know. I, I don't have fully formed opinions about the quarterbacks. I come to this later than you guys do. I'm fully willing to admit that. My thinking with the Patriots, when you look at the struggles they've had to find pass catchers over the last 10 years, and when you think about where they're at in the team-building mm-hmm. process, I would be tempted to just take Marvin Harrison Jr. and just never whatever. think about it again. We got our dude and just whatever. We got our Calvin Johnson. Okay, we'll yeah. figure out the rest. And we'll of the guys we'll figure out yeah. the rest later. Right. It may, this may be our best position with a top three pick to go get a quarterback, and maybe that's how they're thinking about it. Right. And we want to get this started sooner rather than later. But it would be so hard as I look at what is a complete rebuild on offense. Yeah. A complete yeah. rebuild on offense with a new offensive coordinator, a new offensive system, new offensive language. They're starting from square one. I think a foundational pillar-like piece with that first move is a very tempting right. proposition for me. And then oh, I know, and it's this is the thing. This is the gamemanship of it all too. It's like, all right, do I move back, to, move back a few spots, and I get my neighbors or a Dunze, or I get one of my tackles like there, or that, that, or that. that, that but that's the thing. It's like that to me is threatening Neil perfect. But I, that's the thing. But it's like. Harrison to me is just—he's a, a purple chip above yeah. a blue chip. He really is. That's—that's that's a real thing. And to me, it's like, do I want to play this game of getting outsmarting myself, or do I just take the dude? And I go, would just hey, take the dude. I would. I, that, that, I, that's I what would I would do. Don't ever think the dude. <laughs> there are other teams that have been in a similar place. I—the comparison I would make is what Detroit was doing in the Penny Sewell draft. Okay. Right. Detroit starting from square one yep. for the most part. They've got a couple offensive linemen, but otherwise the roster is a total teardown. Nope. They stuck at seven. They picked Penny Sewell because at a certain point, you need fucking players. Yes. And need so blue chippers. them having the opportunity to pick a blue chip player and say, we'll figure out the quarterback later, that right now, based on my understanding of the landscape, that is the more appealing path to me. So too. I think it is. Especially and I, but I don't think that's what they're going to do. Oh, man. It's, I, that's not my, that is not my, <sighs> my feeling about what is probably going it's, to happen. But Again, it's February 27th. I'll leave it at this because the article isn't done yet. But looking at some stats on Daniels, and I, we're going to talk about these quarterbacks a million times. His stat statistical profile looks almost identical to a lot of things with Justin Fields coming out. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in a good way. Doesn't throw over the middle. Scrambles way too much. And I, I love Fields. Why I liked Fields was he was 230 and ran a 4-3-8 yeah. 
Daniels is going to run fast, but he's 200 pounds. And again, that's where my that's where I'm like, is this what you want to bet on? Like maybe a skinnier, like slower, not slower, but skinnier, smaller, more susceptible to injuries fields. And it's like we just saw what the limitations of that. So that's where ah, that's where I have hesitations. Like that's our guy. Two other teams we've talked a little bit about last week, so we can just we don't have to hit Three this third, as yeah. hard. But the Chargers and the Titans are two of the other really intriguing teams in this offseason for me. What the Chargers are going to do at five. Yep. You, I listen to a lot of prospects to pros in the car on the way here. Dane brought up multiple different times this idea of the Bears trading up for one of the receivers. And these two spots seem like they might be spots where you could do that. He was making me do math on the fly. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, pre- I'm pretty into the idea. Because Especially I, these dudes. It, yeah. with these guys, yeah. and like when you look at the Bears roster, and so those being potential trade up spots with both the Chargers and the Titans. I've been starting to think about how that top 10 will unfold, and these two teams specifically hold a lot of cards and I think are kind of question marks as to which direction they're ultimately going to go in that range. Well, look at the Chargers. They're like, okay, they have Herbert. Okay, they have the thing you need. <laughs> they have the quarterback. They need a lot. Yeah. And like, they, to me, it's like, get as much as you can. Day two, day th- like, as many picks as you can get. They, to me, make a ton of sense. Titans were aggressive last year to move up for Levis. And it's like, okay, are you guys doing that? So they're just a wild card as well. I want to get at for them. So I'm not sure with them. But I know Dane bringing that up to me made me start doing math. And I was like, I guess you trade a third for that to move up a couple spots. But for if you're those teams, if I'm the Titans, and I know I'm going to get Joe Alt or something yeah. like that, okay, all right. Yeah, and you're going to take that receiver, and they may take it. Okay, yeah, sure, sure. I'll, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll move back two spots to get that third. Rand Carthen did say, though, today that they need more team speed and Malik Neighbors may be available when they're picking at seven. So that that's another thing to think about. But <laughs> what the Titans end up doing in that spot, how they feel like they need to go, how the coaching staff of Bill Callahan end up shaping that. Yeah. So that's, to me, a really, really important spot. And then, again, what do the Chargers do? I If I had to bet right now, based on absolutely nothing other than feel and just looking at the chessboard, the Chargers moving back in this draft feels like a real potential thing that could happen. And I think it would be a smart thing for them, like yeah. where they're at. Again, I think they just need starters. Not even Blue chip starter helps, but they need, they need a lot of pieces. And they have a weird roster of aging. and need, like it's a, it's a weird spot right now. So to me, whenever you're in that spot, I'm like, what the f- are we going to do with it? Trade back. Yeah. <laughs> Trade yeah. back. Just get more shots at it and stay in that top ten, preferably. And then the biggest question for me about the Chargers with their current roster is who stays and who goes. So you have all these monster oh cap hits. Khalil Mack, yes. Joey Bosa, yes. Mike Williams. Yes. These are all guys with like 30-ish million dollar cap hits. Uh, my guess right now is that two are gone. Okay. I think I would. I think they. if I had to bet right now, I'd say they release Mike Williams. Yep, that's number one they, for me. And they yeah. trade Joey Bosa. Yeah. That's kind of where I, I got to, too, looking at all the deals, too. Yeah, that's kind of why I figured out. It's, it's crazy that Keenan Allen outsurvived Mike Williams. But, I mean, can you <laughs> move playing. on from Keenan Allen after and, the way that he played last one's, year? One plays right now. Yeah. I know he's had And one plays history. well. Yeah, one plays, and one is never on the field. Yeah, I'm going to keep the one that plays, even if he's older. So how what the Chargers ultimately do with keeping those guys and what they ultimately do in the top five, this is a team that could go in so many different directions now that Harbaugh is there, and it becomes, to me, one of the bigger questions of the entire offseason. So the Patriots at five, the, Char- yep. the Patriots at three, the Chargers at five, those are the spots where I think the draft finally starts to take shape, and we get a lot of information about what those new regimes think of their team, what they think about their timeline. Yep. That's what this year. That's what this stretch of the calendar is. It is. We get to learn about how these teams see themselves and what they think their best path forward 
ultimately looks like. And then we start getting to bang the drum about guard signings. <laughs> Ooh, maybe they're doing an offensive shift here. We, we, got, we got three uh, three more days of combine talk before we get to shift free, to free agency, agency. Free agency week is a fun week, though, how we did it last year. Uh, it, it, that was a lot of fun. We'll be so doing I'm it excited. again. I know, I'm so excited you, for this you year. you be ready for it. <laughs> all right, guys, that is all we've got for today. Sincerely appreciate you listening. Me and Chase will be back tomorrow with the next edition of In the Pocket. And then me and Diana are going to be coming your guys' way on Friday. Friday, doing a little combine recap, uh, the other side of the combine, the scuttlebutt side of the, side of the combine. So be on the lookout for that. Great to be back with you guys. Excited to dig in this week. Appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.